Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If it sounds like I've been smoking a lot recently, it's because I haven't. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with my lungs, though. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Some of you are golf fans. Uh, Some of you follow the golfing world rather closely. Um, I am a fair-weather golfer, uh, meaning I never go because... I'm really good the first time out, and then after that, it all goes downhill from there. And if you play golf, you know what I'm talking about. My best golf of the year is the first time that I go out and play, and then I get hooked once again, and then I start reading and learning and trying to figure out what I'm doing wrong, and then it just gets worse from there. There was a young man, uh, he's still a young man, who uh, in 1996 took this tour by storm, Uh, You know him as Tiger, and uh, Tiger Woods is back in the Masters, and he is uh, uh, playing fairly well, but he cheats a little bit, Um, depending on who you talk to, right? And uh, he's making headlines once again for his golf game, but for a while there, he only made headlines for his personal life. And uh, back in uh, 2009, towards the end of the year, actually, it was... uh, The morning after uh, Thanksgiving, Tiger crashed his uh, Cadillac Escalade. Um, I'm sure it was a a company car from General Motors. Uh, It was another joke. They're just... uh, Anyways, he crashed his Cadillac Escalade into a fire hydrant and a tree and uh, several hedges uh, at about 2.30 a.m. and uh, led the rumor mill to... uh, get cranked up, and in fact, they already had uh, some rumors swirling, because on November 25th, just two days earlier, the uh, National Enquirer, one of the best investigative reporting, uh, uh, there you go, (laughs) maybe I'm just not telling them very well, Uh, anyways, that uh, magazine or newspaper or whatever you want to call it, uh, it it alleged that uh, it... uh, had evidence that Tiger Woods was involved in an affair with a nightclub manager named Rachel in New York City. And uh, it turned out that a few days later, December 2nd, the U.S. Weekly, uh, they had a voicemail uh, that they released that was allegedly left by Tiger for a mistress. And uh, a few days later, December 11th, Tiger released a statement And he apologized to his fans and his supporters, but he confirmed that he had been uh, an adulterer, that he indeed had uh, participated in infidelity. And at that point in time, uh, many of the folks who were uh, involved in him in advertising deals uh, backed away from him and dropped him. Uh, Such groups such as... uh, AT&T and Gatorade and General Motors. Maybe he had to give the Cadillac back. The interesting thing is, from uh, most men's perspective, you would think this guy had it all, wouldn't you? Uh, Making millions of dollars. uh, Number one on the money list uh, for many, many years on the PGA Tour. He had married a supermodel. Um, 
why cheat? Why be an adulterer? And uh, during the next several days, dozens of women came forward in various media outlets claiming to have had an adulterous affair with Tiger Woods. And Tiger admitted it. Tiger came clean on February 2010 after he spent 45 days in a treatment facility. And he came clean and he issued a statement and this is what he said. I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted to do. I felt that I had worked hard my entire life and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. I felt I was entitled. And thanks to money and fame, I didn't have to go far to find them. I was wrong. I was foolish. Well, now a lot of the discussion is about uh, dropping the ball in the wrong place. Um, But there is still discussion about his current girlfriend, Lindsey Vaughn. And uh, his personal life will never leave the public arena. And today we're going to look at a part of Ecclesiastes. And if you're visiting with us this morning, I apologize that you came today. Uh, At the same time, I'm pretty excited that you're here. Because the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, even though it was written several thousand, 3,000 years ago or more, couldn't be any more relevant than it is today. And last week we looked at uh, this professor Uh, He calls himself the teacher, but I think a better understanding of this is a a professor of philosophy. And the professor uh, is is leading us in a discussion of the meaning of life. And and really, verse 3 in chapter 1 is the question that he puts before us throughout this book. And he says, what does anyone gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And the whole book gives itself to that question. And really what he's doing is he's, he, he's actually a theist. He's actually somebody who believes in Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, but he writes this book as if he doesn't. He writes this book from the perspective of an agnostic or, or an atheist or, or, or someone who thinks, uh, what is the meaning of life under the sun? Let's, let's for a moment believe that there's nothing above the sun or in the words of uh, Dr. Taggett, the, our instructor during the uh, video series on Sunday mornings, let's believe that all there is to this life is a box. And we're all in this box. And everything that has been or will be uh, it can only be contained inside this box. There's no supernatural actors outside of the box. It just has the box. And if you take that perspective, if you take that worldview, what are your conclusions, says this philosopher, professor. And in chapter one, he is approaching this question from a, 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 you know, he struck the thinker pose for us in chapter one. He sits and he ponders on the question. He wrestles with it from his intellect. And by the way, uh, if this was written by King Solomon, he was the wisest man that ever lived. He's got quite the intellect to deal with, to to ask these questions of. And he comes to the conclusion that we see in verse two, meaningless. (laughs) Or as one translator said, enigmatic. I don't know what that means. I didn't really look it up. 
but I think it's along the lines of vanity, purposelessness, meaningless, mystery, confusion, don't know why. And after he sat and thought about it as a philosopher, as a deep thinker, he came to the conclusion, if I came from just swirling green muck and I die and there's nobody waiting for me, and there's nobody there to render justice, there's no one to render reward, there's, there, then it's all meaningless. I think he's right. If it's by chance that all life came into being and if there's no God to either judge us or reward us, then why bother? It's meaningless. And that was his conclusion. And you can hear a modern American say, lighten up. Can't you? This guy needs to go to the movies. This guy needs to turn on the television. He needs to get away from CNN or Fox. He needs to turn on you know, some mindless comedy. He needs to quit thinking so much. He needs to go read some good fiction. He needs to kiss a girl. Maybe he needs to go have sex. Maybe he needs to drink a beer. This guy needs to lighten up. I mean, a lot of people in our culture, that's what their reaction to this book is, is lighten up. Holy cow, you're bumming me out. Let's party. Quit thinking about it. And here, you have another cold one. It's cold because the mountains have turned blue. (laughs) Thank God that came out, because I had no clue. (laughs) And so what does he do in chapter 2? He takes our advice. (laughs) He takes our advice. He lightens up. Now, before we get into what he does in chapter 2, let's talk about pleasure. Uh Uh-oh, pleasure in church. not supposed to talk about. Let's talk about pleasure because what the philosopher is doing is he is setting up for us the fact that pleasure is a problem in our world. Not the fact that we can experience pleasure. That's not the problem. Although some throughout the ages have thought that's the problem and therefore we need to quit feeling pleasure. And we call those folks stoics. And some of you are like them. Especially at church. Some of you that just went right over your head. I mean, some people think I, I'm not supposed to have any enjoyment in life, and especially not from 11 till noon on Sundays. And so many people have this stoic, uh, this, this, this aesthetic view of life that we're not supposed to enjoy life, we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to have any pleasure in life, we're not supposed to smile, we're not supposed to laugh. Uh, there's a preacher in London in the 1800s. Uh, I've I've talked to him about him before. His name was uh, Spurgeon, probably one of the best preachers that ever lived. And um, he was ridiculed in London in the 1800s because he regularly told jokes and he got his congregation laughing. And other preachers were like, how dare you? Of course, it had a good British accent, which I can't do, so I will spare you. (laughs) Then you'll really laugh, but... That debate still goes on today in some churches. And the question about pleasure is not whether we should experience or not. The problem of pleasure that the philosopher is going to address is that it is truly a problem because many times we experience too much pleasure. And some of you, that's your biggest 
problem in life is that you have chased after pleasures and found it meaningless. And not only that, in the process of of chasing after pleasure, you have injured relationships and you have damaged your own self and and you, you have ruined yourself financially. Remember our friend Tiger Woods at the beginning? They estimate that his indiscretions cost stockholders in those companies between five and $12 billion. Now, maybe your behavior won't have that sort of, you know, ramifications, but it does. Today, we have a word for those who act like the philosopher in chapter two. We call them addicts. But the interesting thing is you don't have to get into addiction for chasing after happiness through pleasure to start to take its toll on your life. And you don't have to get to addiction for it to get to that point to start to take a toll on the lives of people around you. Parents, have you ever watched your kid chase after happiness through pleasure and you just go, oh, don't do that. Run away. Have you ever heard yourself, I hope my kids don't have to learn things the way I had to learn them. I hope my kids don't have to learn things the hard way. But when you were in the midst of it, it was fun and it was pleasurable and you you did it anyways. And only afterwards, after you got on the other side of it, you go, wow, that was stupid. Or as Tiger said, I was foolish. You know what a fool is? A fool is somebody who knows better, but does it anyways. And many of us have played the part of the fool. And some of you today are playing the part of the fool. You're chasing after happiness through pleasure. You're trying to infuse your life with meaning through pleasure. In fact, there's this great historian. His name is um, Arnold Tongby. And he said this, he made this observation, it's not actually a quote, but he made the observation that of the 21 great civilizations that have ever existed, the modern West is the first that does not have or teach its citizens any answer to the question of why they exist. Think about that. We are the first civilization in human history that doesn't tell its people why they are here. Why are you here? Some of you are wondering that, and you've been wondering since 9.30. I realize that. (laughs) But why are you here? Why are you on planet Earth? Why are you, did anybody answer that question for you? Did a mother, a father, a teacher, a preacher, did somebody ever pull you aside and say, you're here because? Or did most people just take a hands off? We want a value-free zone established so you can just bumble along and figure it out. And do you know what happens when people bumble along and try to figure it out? They look like Solomon in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. Because they sit around and they think about it and they depress themselves and they depress their friends and then their friends say, lighten up, let's go partay. And they do. In fact, you'll see that Solomon becomes a pleasure machine in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Read with me. I said to myself, 
Come now, I will test you with pleasure. <laughs> Doesn't sound bad. I'd rather do that than think. Most of us think, right? To find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. He's telling you where it ended up before he gets there. But now he's going to tell you what happened. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I understood great pro- I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Not just then, but ever. That's saying something, right? I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Listen to these words. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Kind of like tiger. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Think about having my teenagers memorize this passage. Because then when they go out and do those things, hey, do you remember that part? King Solomon, wisest guy ever. He's actually the most interesting man in the world. I mean, he's got the Dos Equis guys totally smoked. (laughs) (laughs) Most interesting man alive. Do you hear what he did? Do you hear how he partied? Do you hear what he undertook in his life? I mean, (laughs) let's make a list, shall we? Uh, I got to find my list that I made. Alcohol, uh, partying, friends, laughter, homes, home decor, gardening, love of the outdoors, jewelry, food, music, sex. His harem was a thousand women. Sex with a thousand concubines. He pushed pleasure and happiness through pleasure as far as anyone could take it. And he said, it's meaningless. He didn't find pleasure there. He didn't find happiness there. He found nothing there. It was empty. It was meaningless, chasing after the wind. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are there today, and you keep going to the same thing and doing the same thing over and over and over again. Do you know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same things and expecting different results. And we do the same thing, and we think maybe this time. 
But the interesting thing is we never question the path. We only question ourselves on the path. We never question, is this the right path to take? Instead, we question, I'm just not far enough down the path. If I were a tad bit lighter, a tad, wait a tad bit less. If I had a tad bit more, if my home was just a wee bit bigger, if I had a few more pieces of gold and silver, if I had a little bit more in the bank account, if the stocks would just keep going up, if I had to owe a little less on my taxes, if I got a little bit more in the barn, if I had a few more animals, if I got a few more fields, if I had... You're expecting different results? Why don't we question the path? Why don't we ever go, I don't really think this has ever worked for anybody. Because I know people who have way more. And they're doing the same thing. Right? I mean, that's what Solomon is. There's this debate between the 99%ers and the 1%, at least in our country. By the way, most of us are 99%ers, right? We should go occupy Main Street or something. Um, (laughs) Anyways, Solomon is a king. He's the 1% of the 1%. Donald Trump ain't got nothing on this guy. I told you he was the most interesting man in the world. Donald's had a lot of wives. He hasn't had a thousand concubines. I don't think. Solomon amassed so much wealth and so much wisdom that people from around the world were drawn to Jerusalem. He could build his homes out of gold. He could do whatever he wanted. If you stood in his way, he'd just take it from you and kill you in the process. And what does he say? He's further down the path than you or I will ever be. And he says, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now you're like, ah, he's an old fuddy-duddy. He's dead anyways. <laughs> How about Tom Brady, quarterback for the New England Patriots? Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on him back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. (laughs) It's what you always wanted. You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, I mean, 
maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Tom needs to read Ecclesiastes 2. Modern day Solomon. The only thing wrong with him is he plays for the wrong team. (laughs) And it's not fulfilled him. Three Super Bowls by the age of 30. $60 million. Playing golf whenever he wants. Married to a supermodel. Uh, He has all the Chevy Cruises he wants, I believe, or Dodge something or other, whatever commercial he's on, right? And he's saying, it's meaningless. I wish I knew. How many of you are questioning the path, but you're sitting there thinking, you know what? I'd still give it a try. I still would give it a try. I still would. I, I mean... It's not the path. It's the guy. If it was Steve Weinkoop, I'd be like, man, I am so fulfilled. This is the best ever. I used to be a pastor. (laughs) But now, (laughs) how many of you are thinking, it's just the wrong guy. He's on the right path. It's just the wrong guy. What's wrong with him? He could have Jesus and all that. That's the problem. He needs Jesus and the millions. Jesus and the fame. Jesus and the supermodel. Jesus and. And did you know that any of us, whenever we say Jesus and, I will not be happy unless I have, you are an idolater. Because you believe that these created things, these pleasures, can take the place of the creator. You think that these things are going to give you purpose and meaning, that these experiences, that this money, that this success, that this person is going to validate you and it's going to say, you matter, you are worthwhile, your life matters, your life's worth living. And Tom Brady's here to tell you after winning three Super Bowls and making $60 million and being the cover boy of all sorts of different advertisers, he is still saying... I don't know. You see what he's done and what all of us do because our hearts are idle factories is we take created things and we try to make them take the place of the creator. We do. We do this all the time. Solomon is telling you (laughs) it's meaningless. It is a chasing after the wind. So, what do we do about this? I mean, we live in the most materialistic, consumeristic culture that's ever lived on planet Earth. I went to Sam's Club after I met with Larry, and I did not allow my heart's content to be defied in any sort of manner. I, 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 I just bought everything my eyes desired. Everything. <laughs> Because Visa let me do it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Except it has a limit, so I guess I couldn't. But 
Sam's Club was just the first store I visited on my way home. And then I, I, went, to, I went to Target, or Target, as we call it at our house. And uh, went to Natural Grocers, uh, went to Walmart. Um, I, I spent a lot of money and I still don't have enough stuff because my kids ate it all. <laughs> I still have a list of things that I still want to get. And in and, and my house, yesterday we were, we were working on our house again, still. It's like my grandfather, he said, did you have fun this weekend or do you own a house? <laughs> I haven't had fun in forever. <laughs> and we were... We were in the shed and we we're taking the cabinets that used to be in our kitchen and we're putting them in the shed because that's what you do with cabinets, I guess. Because <laughs> we need more storage space for the stuff that we have that will make us happy that has now gotten out of the house and put it into storage. Because we're so happy with it, now we just <laughs> store it. You know, because I'm, I'm so content and happy with that stuff. And in the process, I'm spending money trying to, you know, make my house and my stuff have better places to live. I'm starting to feel like this is chasing after the wind. Monday night, I, there was that tornado warning. <laughs> Could you imagine the wine coops finish up their kitchen? <laughs> Bam! <laughs> I mean, that's the way God works in my life. I would not be at all surprised. And I would just laugh. After I... No. Please, Lord, don't do that to me. Talk about perspective really quick. The cool thing is this perspective is available for us in this book. This stuff was written 3,000 years ago, and some of you are thinking, man, I wish I would have heard that earlier. Right here. And God is telling you and me today that whenever we think something, someone other than Jesus will fulfill us, it won't. That spouse you're married to won't fulfill you. She or he is not designed to. It is impossible for them to do that. Some of you have unrealistic, crushing expectations on your spouse. Those kids, so innocent and cute and everything, they grow up, they get zits and stuff. They eat you out of house and home. And then they let you down. They don't do what you expected or they don't turn out the way they did. Or If you put your hope and your your expectations and all of your, this is what makes life meaningful, is my child. It's going to be a bumpy ride. And that house that you've put so much time and energy into, uh, you have built it and you have made it beautiful and it is a warm, welcoming, awesome place. Every time those tornado sirens go off a little bit, your heart ends up a little bit higher in your throat. Someday. Someday, and we'll see this in a later passage in Ecclesiastes, you too will die and you'll leave this stuff to somebody else who didn't work for it. It'll be theirs. <laughs> Meaningless. 
Might be the government's before them. Um, that partying that you're doing, and you know, Saturday mornings when you wake up and you're thinking, why do I keep doing this to myself? <laughs> and then you go out and do it again. You know, it's not going to satisfy. It's just not. It's, it's not going to, it, it's not going to fill that place in you because it can't. It's not designed to. It'll make you glad and happy for a while, but it can't meet your deep needs. It, it can't give you purpose and meaning. It can't fulfill you. Anything that we say we need to have more than Christ is an idol. So would you search your heart? Would you ask yourself, what is truly meaningful in your life? What is it you're truly living for? What is it you are clinging to besides Jesus Christ to give you fulfillment, to give you standing, to give you pleasure in this life? Is it sex? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Is it rock and roll? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it laughter? Is it television? Is it entertainment? Is it amusement? Is it travel? Is it food? Anything that you need to have to make life meaningful and purposeful other than Jesus will utterly fail you and many of those things will destroy you. And they have destroyed many before you. Will you answer that question? The one who gives me pleasure is Jesus Christ. Will you answer that question? I live for the pleasure of God. You might think that's just a weird way to think. Well, then you just need to sit and think about that for a while. Because Solomon says the way that some of us are living is a weird way to think. In the Old Testament, there's a story. Joshua is about to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. They are armed for battle. (laughs) I'd like to, you know, see what that looked like back then. And he turned to the people and he said, choose this day whom you will serve. You know, that's the message of Ecclesiastes every week. Doesn't mean you shouldn't come next Sunday, but choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day who you will seek pleasure in. And may your answer be Jesus Christ. Because anything else will destroy you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being just so amazingly wise. Thank you for taking the time to show this stuff to us, to teach us this thing so that experience doesn't have to be the only instructor in our lives. Thank you that we can read these things and we can realize that those pleasures we are chasing after will fail us. And many of them will harm us. 
Many will ruin our relationships and destroy our bank account and rob us of our health and ruin our reputation. Thank you that you love us so much that you aren't trying to take away pleasure from us. You're not a killjoy, but you want us to live and experience ultimate pleasure. And that is life with you. For those of us who struggle with whether that is enough pleasure and good enough, and whether it will satisfy us, would you just prompt us to take the challenge and you will exceed our expectations? Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you choose this day whom you will find pleasure in. Quit chasing wind. Chase Christ.